The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Excited for today's show. First time chatting with a long-time friend of the show, Amy Trask, the venerable Amy, Amy Trask, a uh, wonderful personality on Twitter and in real life. Uh, Amy and I talk about the draft, her time with the Raiders, a lot more uh, coming up in just a few minutes. But, of course, some notes and things to get to. Uh, and by the way, Amy and I recorded this last week and actually brought up the idea that the NFL would uh, would donate a bunch of money during the draft to help uh, COVID-19 relief funds. And then like literally 30 minutes after we recorded the show, uh, then the NFL announced that they were doing that. So the NFL monitoring our calls more than likely. There's also a Mock Draft Monday podcast in your feed now. Only one more mock draft Monday and uh, lots happening uh, in, going on in the feed in terms of turning out content. Um, things are going on. You know, we're, we deal with breaking news as it comes up leading up to the draft. Uh, we're going to have prospect rankings all week. So we want to go ahead and get uh, Amy's, Amy's podcast out there. Didn't want it to you know, get stale. We get burnt by the, the NFL announcing something, some other great idea that we had. Uh, plus, Amy has great insights into discussing um, this year's draft setting, how teams will adjust to it. And we went back into uh, to discuss, uh, talk about old uh, L.A. and Oakland Raider draft days, some um, <clears throat> infamous Raider draft picks, and uh, thoughts on the Raiders moving to Las Vegas. So let's go talk to Amy Trask. All right, Amy, thanks for joining the program. Uh, first, is, I think it's our first time doing the podcast together. Have we done it before? Am I, am I crazy? Did we do we it? never have, and I, I yeah. got to tell you, I'm a little hurt, but I'm going to try to get over that because I'm so delighted to join you today. Well, uh, you're one of my favorite people on Twitter. We've corresponded via email for a long time, and uh, I could not be more excited to have you on. I, we have a master list of uh, people that we want to have, like get, like you know, like a wish list of guests. Yeah, I know your name is at the top of it, which is weird that we didn't have you on. It may be, mm-hmm. um, it may be like even a, uh, I, don't, I don't want. You know, PR listens. I don't think we're blaming them, but like, you know, you, you're, you're in high demand. You have lots of responsibilities and yeah, we're just a lowly little podcast. No, 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 no. I'm the kid who doesn't have someone to eat lunch with in this regard. I ain't got no people. I ain't got no PR people. I ain't got nothing like that. And I just think I didn't make the cut, but I'm going to try to do well today and maybe I'll get invited back. 
Uh, you are you have a permanent invitation to my podcast uh, at well, Trask on Twitter. Uh, one of the few people who consistently goes out of her way to uh, uh, create good, positive vibes on what has increasingly become a terrible social media platform for humans. But we're not here to talk about uh, Twitter and whether people are kind or not. Although I guess we could get into that. Uh, we are here to talk about the draft. Amy spent thirty years. With the Raiders, 16 as CEO and now works for CBS Sports. You're also the chairman of the big three, which is, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. Like it's, um, you work with Ice Cube. Uh, it is a lot of fun. It is pretty cool. It's Ice Cube and Jeff Quantinitz started this league three on three and we're delighted to again, uh, you know, to renew our relationship with CBS Sports and it's a lot of fun. Oh, Obviously you- we have challenges. We have challenges now as do all sports, but we've got some interesting ideas in the works. Okay, so I've got to tell you a story first before, and this is, this is very uh, apropos for this podcast that I would get off on a tangent before we even start talking draft, but, uh, <laughs> this is appropriate for our conversation. So the other day, Brandon Tierney asked me about what album I would choose, uh, to, um, you know, to drive across the country with, and I mentioned that on, on Twitter, I think it was like last Saturday, and you responded that you would go with, uh, Straight Out of Compton by NWA, one of the all-time great rap albums, and the reason I want to bring it up is because, and I was trying to tweet this at you, but I, I didn't want it to like, like I was worried, I was worried the story would not come off the way it should. So when I was in college at NC State, uh, my first year, my grades were not very good. And my parents decided as a means of punishment that they would allow, they would give me in, in exchange, in, instead of my car that I had normally, uh, I would get to drive my mom's, I think it was a 1991 wood paneled, a white Chrysler Dodge minivan. And um, it was not a cool car, to say the least, if you were driving around uh, campus as a college sophomore. But it's a car, so I don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, I didn't want to sound like I was like, eh, I was stuck with this car when lots of people don't have cars. That was the my concern on Twitter. But I leaned all the way into it. So, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy this car. It's great. I can pile my friends in it. We can drive around easily, et cetera, et cetera. And I had straight out of Compton on tape. And during the spring of like 2000, I would play that loudly as humanly possible while driving down, driving across campus in a white, a white wood paneled minivan. Very, very cool stuff on my part. Well, I love that. And I will give you a quick tangent. I have been an NWA fan since NWA came on the scene. Um, I've been a Cube fan, an NWA fan. Musical geniuses. They are generational musical geniuses in my view. And so I've always listened to it in the car and elsewhere. And Now we're in Venice, back in Venice Beach, where we were before Al moved the team up to the Bay Area. And it's a little different in Venice, so everything's a lot more relaxed. But when we were living in the neighborhood in which we were living during the years that I was with the team in Oakland, a lot of kids on the street. They were always outside playing in front of our house. And I would back out of the garage, pull into the garage at night, um, blaring straight out of Compton. And not the cleaned up, it's okay for radio version. And at one point, my husband said to me, you know, you might want to think about dialing that back a little bit when you're driving through the, like, pickup games on the street and there's 30 kids around. But that was a good education. Uh, absolutely. Look, hey, it's, uh, it is it is some of the most lyrically brilliant stuff you over here. And, like, really you, just don't, you just don't get a group of four talented, like a super group of rappers like they had back in the day. Uh, anyway. Spectacular. 
it's a football podcast, but we never talk football first. That's just how it works. Uh, by the way, Amy also has a book, You Negotiate Like a Girl, Reflections on a Career in the NFL. Make sure and check that out on Amazon. It came out a few years ago. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you, what do you think about the 2020 NFL draft? Because we're now going to be all virtual because of the COVID-19 um, situation. The, the NFL has said everybody, you know, go, you cannot be at your respective team facilities. You have to be at home. What is your sort of main takeaway in terms of how this will impact what teams are doing from a communication standpoint or an execution standpoint uh, when they're on the clock? Well, let me channel my inner Aaron Rodgers and tell everyone who's been saying, oh, no, oh, no, Henny Penny, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, to relax, (laughs) R-E-L-A-X. And, you know, Aaron and I share an alma mater, Cal, so I feel good about quoting him. And I'm not talking to fans. I'm specifically talking to general managers and other people at teams. And I shared these thoughts in a piece I recently wrote for The Athletic. Will, umpteen times throughout my career in the National Football League, I heard people, GMs, coaches, others who are part of teams say, quote, no one has any idea how hard or no one understands how hard this is. That was the exact quote. You don't understand how hard this is. No one understands how hard this is. And I'm looking at these men standing on the grass in the morning warmth of the Napa Valley at training camp, wearing clothes that the team has provided them and washes for them, having just eaten a meal that the team provided for them. Oh, and by the way, they drove to training camp in a very nice car the team provided for them and gases for them and washed for them. So my point being, it's not that hard. So when I've heard those that group of GMs say, oh, we can't do this, it's going to be so difficult, I flash back to that no one understands how hard this is. And my reaction is, no, there are people in the world, in this country doing things right now that are really and truly hard. Medical professionals, people keeping our hospitals open, first responders, people providing the services we all need. That's hard. Having a remote technological draft is not hard. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's also, it's a little tough to swallow the complaints about it when it's like, look, three years ago, you figured out a way to have a, a parrot uh, make a pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> from a, a pirate ship with like a bunch of cheerleaders. And Mike Mayock, now in Oakland, uh, correctly uh, is berated his own employer. Like, this is ridiculous. And it was ridiculous. And I understand you're, you know, trying to do a bunch of cool stuff with teams and all that. But like, if you can figure out how to have a parrot announce a draft pick, you can figure out how to have, uh, just to use the same GM of the team, Jason Light, uh, announce a pick on Skype. Like, it's, can I, like, this is a, this is a $14 billion industry. They have the the wherewithal and the partnerships with companies like Microsoft and whatnot to figure out how to do this virtually. It, it is it is very surprising that that there is this much hand wringing about what's going on. I get it from the trade perspective. Like you know, if you're the Browns and you have Andrew Barry, a first time GM, and Kevin Stefanski, a first time coach, and uh, Jimmy Haslam, a uh, uh, a hands-on owner, if you will. Uh, I get it. Like you're going to have some communication issues, but that's just sort of how the, the shoe falls. Right. And I, I just don't, it's hard for me to get really symp- sympathetic to these people. Well, you might be nicer or more um, 
relaxed or more giving than I am because I can't <laughs> get there at all. I mean, look, every single organization has an IT department that is staffed with a number of people. The league has IT people. As you pointed out, all of the business partners of the league are there to help. And, oh, by the way, if you're a GM that doesn't know how to run your Zoom or your Skype and you've got a 14-year-old kid in the house, let your kid, and by the way, maybe your kid's eight and can run it. You know, the thing this also does, Will, is this gives the league an opportunity to show tremendous leadership for the country and to show the country, look, we're doing this while staying at home, while sheltering in place. You need to shelter in place as well. The opposite message would have been the case had the league found a way not to do this while sheltered in place. Well, now they have a perfect way to say to fans of all ages and casual viewers who aren't necessarily hardcore fans, look, we're doing this in a socially responsible manner. It's a really good message they're sending as well. Yeah, and you know what? If I, I'll be curious, and I hadn't even thought about that angle. It's a great point. I would be not surprised at all if several – um, GMs or coaches, even like, look, you got 15 minutes to make a pick. Uh, and I'm not asking, you know, Mike Brown to be the, the, the leader in the, in the clubhouse here, but you, you need about 14 minutes. You, you gotta have about 14 minutes and 59 seconds to spare, Mike, cause you're going to take Joe Burrow first overall. <laughs> and so maybe use some of that time to send a message to people and say, Hey, look, FYI, you can stay in your house too. Or even, you know, get up there and do something philanthropic i don't know like if, if you're if you're feeling yeah. it you know get up and, and announce hey we are because you know, the nfl loves the free publicity of, of looking of a positive image and in the nfl's defense a lot of players and a lot of coaches don't get the credit for all the work they do uh so why not get up there and be like hey we're announcing a million dollar donation to uh covid19 relief uh you know courtesy of our 32 nfl teams or the nfl foundation or whatever it is like you're gonna have you a literally captive audience Yep, I, it's a phenomenal idea, and I would be surprised if we don't see some of that. And you know what? And, and we may see it on the team level as well as on the league as a whole level. I think we will, and I think that's a terrific idea, Will. Um, but what we might also see are some really fun moments. We yeah. might see the moment when that GM is sitting on the phone and, you know, his cat jumps on the, the desk <laughs> and knocks over something or the dog runs by or a child runs by. I mean, we may see some really fun human moments that will give everybody a little bit of a giggle. And we're all experiencing those human moments right now. So I think that could be fun as well. And, you know, a lot of people have said to me, but, you know, there'll be a lot of misses in the draft. Well, let me share some breaking news with you all. There are always misses in the draft. Mm -hmm. The draft isn't a science. There's no Rosetta Stone. There's no Enigma Code. That's why there are men in the Hall of Fame who went undrafted. What I think will be fun to do is four or five years from this draft, look at the percentage of misses on a team-by-team basis and on a league-as-a-whole basis, and then compare it to a statistical average, year-over-year, year-by-year, a collective average, and see if there are, in fact, more misses. Because, by the way, how great would it be if there were less or fewer? I think think there's a decent chance there are less just because – and Pete Briscoe's made this point, too. It's like guys are – you're gonna be like you. You're not gonna be overthinking it quite as much because you don't have as much time with these prospects. You know, you're not gonna be fooled by the guy with uh, who can come in with the you know the great interview, but maybe like you get wowed by his interview and you don't get you know overlook the tape. Like you're really relying on just what you see on film at this point. Maybe some combine metrics. Um, I, I think there might be less misses. 
And by the way, I, I think that's a phenomenal point Pete made and, and that you're making now. And it's something that fascinated me throughout my career. And by fascinated, I mean kind of annoyed because you have and, and whether you want to call it film, which is what it was when I started my career, or video or tape, it's footage of players playing. You have all this game footage. So you're instead going to rely on an interview where some of the questions are just insane. Will, you can imagine the look on my face when a pro personnel guy proudly told me, I mean, he was proud of himself coming back from the combine that he asked a prospect. If you were a vegetable, what kind of vegetable would you be? Now, would you rather watch the game tape and see how this guy plays? Or do you want to know what kind of vegetable he is? I'm not often speechless, as you know. I was speechless. <laughs> I am kind of curious to know what kind of vegetable the kid was, though. But, like, also... Oh, no, oh wait, oh, wait. The, the best part was, the best part was, the guy goes on and tells me, I said, okay, you know, what kind of vegetable was he? And he says, a tomato. And I looked at him, I said, a tomato's not a vegetable. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, the whole thing was just absurd. Okay, it, it is totally absurd. That is a red flag, though, for the for the prospect. But, like, why t- trying to delve into the psychology of a 22-year-old kid or, you know, a 19- to 23-year-old kid or whatever we are, whatever we're talking about here across the spectrum, I mean, good luck. I, especially like a dude. I mean, I've been there. Like it ain't, it ain't, it ain't easy to get into the, the head of a, of a young man like that. I mean, you look, just look back at, I mean, the Raiders, Jamarcus Russell was one of the highest profile picks of all time. And he had every physical and tangible skill set, like you could possibly fathom. And it's just hard to get to the psychology of a young man, right? Well, hey, thanks for the memory. That was fun. Uh, But (laughs) no, and and I will say something, you know, look, um, obviously it did not work out. Um, It was not good for the club. So I'm not trying to to make to tell you something to suggest that it was good. It did not work out. It did not work out. But I will say something in fairness to Jamarcus Uh, between his rookie and second year. He suffered a life tragedy that really upended him. And, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but um, I do have empathy for him that, you know, as you just pointed out, these guys are young. There were players we drafted. I don't remember Jamarcus's exact age, but there were guys we were drafting who were 20. They weren't even legally able to drink. And you bring them in, you draft them in, and all of a sudden they have millions of dollars and people coming out of the woodwork who are preying on them. And I don't mean pray with an A, I mean it with an E. Uh, and, you know, he suffered a very, very catastrophic life issue between year one and year two. Again, I'm not saying the pick worked. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't. But I will always have empathy for what he went through, and I do believe it impacted his ability to evolve as a player. Well, I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting for me, too, like I've become good friends with Brady Quinn, which I would not have guessed would happen. Uh, and he's on the podcast like once a week. But, like, I don't think – I don't think I really ever truly understood until talking to him more just how important it is too. like, it's not just the, you know, there's so, there's just so many factors that go into the success or failure, particularly of a quarterback at the NFL level. It's, uh, it's where you go from a team perspective and a club perspective, but also, a, you know, a look, a, a geographical perspective. It's who you're working with from a coaching perspective. It's, um, you know, what happens to you off the field in those first few years and, and how you mature and how you change. There is, 
like it, it would be foolish to say that there is any guaranteed success of any one play. I mean, Andrew Luck is a perfect example. He had landed in a great spot, had pieces around him for the most part. We thought early on he had uh, you know, he's well grounded. His father, um, you know, you couldn't have asked for a better you know, background. I mean, you coached by, you know, John, uh, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, who went on to be a great, uh, NFL coach for, for a short period. Um, and then just because things happen, it doesn't work out. Like it, it's just there, it, like you said, there's no science to it. And I think we sort of lose sight of that when we start slapping the bus label on people very quickly. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Are you right? Um, you know, these are young men, as I said, some aren't even 21. Some have never been outside of um, a very, very, very small town. They might have grown up in a small town. Um, they might have gone to sm- school at a, a, in a small town area, you know, a, a smaller town area. And then, you know, being with the team, I, I joined the organization when it was in Los Angeles already. And then I was with the organization both in Los Angeles and then up in the Bay Area. So you're now bringing to a major metropolitan, metropolis, metropolitan area someone who may not have ever lived in one and affirmatively does not wish to live in one. I remember having a heartbreaking conversation with a player that we drafted very, very, very high. I won't name him out of respect for his privacy, but he was in tears. I don't want to come to a big city. I don't want to go to California. I don't want to be almost 3000 miles from my family. And yes, he understood the, the, the tremendous great fortune he had to be good enough to be in the National Football League. And yes, he was wise enough to understand he would be earning money that others could never dream of earning, but he was frightened. And so there are those life issues. And again, I want to be very careful to say, I get it. Those are first world problems. There are people that don't have jobs that will never see anything resembling that amount of money. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I also do have compassion for players who are drafted into circumstances that aren't good for them. But I do want to say that we buried the lead of the topic you just raised, which is that Brady Quinn gets to come on every week. And I've never been on before. So uh, that is that, of that. that is true. I, I, I genuinely I was like, did, I was wondering, I was like, did, have we not had Amy on? I swear, I swear I thought we had had you on. And I, I, I cannot stress enough that I Don't feel, worry. I it, feel it, guilty. You're, you're, we're good. You shouldn't feel guilty, and I'll wait till I'm off to cry. No, no, no. But now you're, but you, you should be careful because if you get locked in as a recurring guest, it is an absolute hellscape for whoever, uh, for whoever does that. Just ask Brady. Um, okay. Nope, so I'm in. Uh, I am curious, like, you know, going back to and, and thinking about the Raiders and the drafts and, and there are plenty of great drafts. I don't, Jamarcus Russell is, uh, you know, gets painted as a big bust, but there are lots of guys that, uh, the organization hit on. I, I'm curious, like what, and Al, Al Davis is always famous for drafting a certain type of player or, or that's sort of the stereotype that gets painted. What was he like leading up to the draft and sort of what was the process for how he laid things out? Because more so than many other owners, he was, he was very much hands on. Oh, he was, he ran that room. He, he ran the draft room. He was, um, you know, hands on is a very, Delightful way to put it because it wasn't just hands on sleeves rolled up. I mean, he was immersed in it. And the biggest misconception about Al, in my view, is that you couldn't disagree with him. Um, If that was the case, I would have been fired about two (laughs) two and a half weeks into my job. Um, So if there's any, you know, there, there is this misconception that you couldn't disagree with him or you had to say, yes, nothing could be further from the truth. 
So he welcomed input. He wanted input from the scouts. He wanted input from player personnel people. He wanted input from coaches. Now, ultimately, he was going to make the decision if he chose to do so. There were certainly times he deferred to others. There were times he would listen to others, but stick with what he wanted to do, as was his right as the owner of the business. But irrespective of whether he took advice of others and yielded to their desires, which he did at times, he listened even when he didn't yield to their desires. Um, my responsibilities on draft day, and, and there's a point in why I'm about to share this with you, were not in the draft room, of course. They were elsewhere in the organization dealing with other team owners, meaning other owners of the Raiders, not owners sure. of other teams, um, sponsors, business partners, fans, ticket holders, suite holders, uh, dealing with our staff and things like that. But there were times we made controversial picks, picks that people, you know, we just knew we'd get killed for. And I remember one instance in particular, we were going to draft a guy that the media had been saying, you know, oh, they're going to draft him. It's the worst decision ever. They shouldn't do this. It's just, you know, on and on and on and on. And I was downstairs with some of the team's owners and, and um, some of the big sponsors. And someone comes and grabs me and says, Al needs to talk to you. So I ran to a phone, called up to the draft room, and he said to me, we're going to take them, kid. We're going to take them. And you're going to have to deal with, you know, it's, it's going to be your headache and you're going to have to deal with it. Because he knew I was down there with all these people who would be just, you know, oh, no, what did they do? So I, I don't I, I would have to think back on what his exact words was. But it, basically, he called me to warn me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them. It's going to be a big headache for you. You're going to have to handle it. Click. That's... Okay, then. And, and that's, you know, he, he gave me a heads up. I think if I'm doing the math right, and those are always very, very, very dangerous words for me because I rarely do the math right on my first try. I think it's the 20th anniversary of selecting Sebastian Janikowski, roughly 20 years at least. And um, there are a lot of memories associated with that as well. That was a pick that we made. And um, after we made the pick, umpteen people came up to me in the building, coaches, player personnel guys, scouts. I can't believe we did this. Why did we do this? We shouldn't have done this. And they were wringing their hands and distancing themselves from the decision. And then a couple of years later, when it was evident to everybody how tremendous Sebastian was and what a phenomenal addition to the team he was, funny how so many of those people were all of a sudden patting themselves on the back saying, boy, oh boy, we made a great selection. We made a great selection. And I'm looking at them like, we, you're the one who told me you hated it. <laughs> I mean, he was playing in 2018. Like this dude, the dude lasted a long time and he played for the Raiders for a long time. He, he like somehow justified 17th overall. I, I you mentioned, you know, dealing with the owners and the business people. I, I think that's probably something that goes a little undersold in terms of what happens with an, an NFL club on draft day or at other times. I mean, the role of CEO, you know, that's not the role of GM. Like there, there is a right. huge business side to a, to an NFL franchise that I think people forget about that you, you have, you know, when we, I, just the way that we're sort of, it's ingrained in our brains. Like we think about, you know, it's like you look at the, the flow chart for us as people, you know, from a, from afar, it's like, Al Davis, this giant picture of Al Davis up top, but like, like any company, he has shareholders and people he eventually has to answer to in some respect, whether it's sponsorships, et cetera. I mean, sort of, can you walk through sort of 
just how sure. hectic that side is on the on draft day? Sure, and I will say right now that it's going to be very, very, very different this year for sure. obvious reasons. So I'll share with you what traditionally happens, understanding that it's not going to be the same this year. Because number one, the building won't be fully staffed. You won't be entertaining. You won't be marketing, uh, things like that. But putting this year aside, uh, the draft provides for teams a tremendous marketing opportunity. There's two. There's a few moments during the quote, off-season, close quote, and I use quotes because there ain't no such thing as an off-season. That's a whole <laughs> other topic. But, you know, there's a few moments, the draft, the signing of big, big name free agents, perhaps a big trade, and then the schedule coming out, or the, the announcement of the schedule that provide teams with tremendous, tremendous business opportunities, marketing opportunities. Number one, to sell to sell more tickets if you need to sell more tickets, more club seats, more suites, and beyond selling to new purchasers to entertain those who already are committed to the organization and for whom you have to express your appreciation and entertain on a regular basis. So, um, you know, for example, we had rooms set up for our sponsors to come enjoy themselves, rooms set up for uh, season ticket holders or suite holders or club seat holders, and then you've got a full marketing staff on hand, people that are making calls to sell more tickets, sell more club seats, sell more suites. You've got merchandise people on. Your PR staff is there. Your whole video department and broadcast department is there because you are um, filming content to use in shows. You are doing live broadcasts that day, both radio and television and, you know, internet and podcasts. And you're, you're, your website is constantly updating and you're tweeting and Instagram, or I could go all Bill Belichick and saying, <laughs> but all of that is going on. So there was not one department in the organization and what people generally refer to as the business operations that wasn't there with their sleeves rolled up all, you know, tucked into what they had to do. For sure. And it is crazy. You know, you mentioned the, you know, the 20th, uh, year anniversary. It will be April 15th. So, uh, th- this podcast, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, April 8th, just for, for the record. For, we, sometimes we, we, the podcasts come out later. I live in a weird space time continuum like that, but, um, it's nuts too. Like the 2000 NFL draft, which again featured Sebastian Janikowski being taken. Uh, it also featured, of course, uh, this guy named Tom Brady being taken by the, by the New England Patriots. Um, it started on like Saturday at noon. Or, or maybe it was, was it, was it, I think it was Saturday noon, right? Like Saturday and Sunday? Or it wasn't, it wasn't first I round on Thursday. And then we'll just, and then like the primetime affair, it's, it, it's, it's incredible how much it's grown in 20 years. Well, right. And first of all, I'm kind of proud that I did the 20 year math correctly. And now I will also tell you as to math, as having spent my entire 30 years in the league or almost 30 on the West Coast, every time I hear someone say noon, I laugh or someone <laughs> says whatever time, I have to immediately back out three hours. Oh my gosh. So yeah, what time, the, the, what time did draft day start in 2000 uh, in Oakland? Like 4 a.m.? I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, oh, in terms of what time we got into the building to start getting ready and getting organized, that was 5, 6 a.m. To, yeah. to get everything ready with the caterers coming and all of the business things going on. But, you know, I don't remember what time the exact draft started, but whatever time it started for you, it started three hours earlier out here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it is crazy. Like I, my first draft uh, was 2011, but for covering it for CBS. And even then it was like a primetime affair in, you know, uh, you know, in, 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 not in, um, excuse me, Radio City uh, Music Hall. And it looks like I didn't realize that the, the 2000 draft was in the theater at Madison Square Garden. I somehow don't remember 
that, but I don't remember a whole lot of the, the early, uh, 2000s. Is there, is there, are there any draft day memories, um, that you have related to the Raiders specific picks or, um, uh, otherwise that sort of stand out to you? Well, the, the Sebastian pick stands out because, um, as I said, all, all of the people that I, I and, and I have a very big pet. This, this is something that just pushes my button, so to speak. When you're an organization and you make an, a decision, um, whether you like the decision or not, it's a decision of the organization. And, you know, if you're part of a team, speak your mind before the decision is made. Uh, if you don't like a decision that's going to be made, articulate that, give your reasoning, try to convince someone to make a different decision. But if the decision that is made is one you don't like, it doesn't matter. It's the decision of the organization. Don't run around whispering and trying to distance yourself from it. That's not being a good teammate. So it'll always stand out to me how when we drafted Sebastian, so many people did just that and tried to, you know, well, I didn't want to do this and I don't like it. And, you know, that's not how I believe a teammate should act. And then those very same people a few years later claiming how brilliant they were for drafting Sebastian. So that's (laughs) a memory that sticks out. The other one that sticks out, and I don't want to name it name because I don't want him to have to go through this again, but, you know, a very, very, very highly criticized pick of ours. I will always remember that call from Al telling me, okay, kid, we're going to do it and you're going to have to deal with it quick. So those are two that stand out. Um, I will say when we drafted Sebastian, um, I decided, you you know, teams, again, not this year, but normally you have um, a rookie mini camp not too long after the draft, as soon as NC2A rules permit, you bring your rookies in. And I decided it would be a lot of fun to welcome Sebastian to the Raiders in Polish because that was his first language. And he spoke perfect English, but I thought it would be warm and welcoming to say, you know, welcome to the Raiders. We're thrilled to have you and to greet him in Polish. So I reached out to someone I know whose husband spoke fluent Polish and I asked how to say those things. Let me just say to you, Will, but to this day, I have no idea what I said to Sebastian, but by the look on his face, I can tell you, I did not say what it was I intended to say. Because as I started, our, you know, I started right in in Polish and the look on his face, to, to this day, I have no idea what my friend and her husband had me say to Sebastian in Polish, but um, it all worked out. Maybe Sebastian didn't know what it was like, didn't speak Polish and he didn't know what you're saying. Um, oh, I'm, no, no. I, my concern was actually worse that I was oh, saying I something I shouldn't have been saying. Right, right. It's like the old, like, uh, you're like, how do I say where is the beer in Spanish? And then you accidentally are like, you know, can, yeah, like you, you, you say something when you're, you know, you're, you're on a trip and you, you say the opposite thing. Right, and right. I look at you crazy. Uh, I'll, we'll get you out of here on this one. Um, and, and thank you so much for the time, Amy. Of course. Uh, w- just curious, what are you, your thoughts on the, the Raiders moving to Vegas? Because not the first move for the team, but it certainly it feels like it's been an elongated process. But I mean, it's such a, a strange thing, even for, uh, certainly for you, but I mean, and even for fans who have watched this team in Oakland for so long to see them actually going to Vegas. It didn't feel like it would ever be real, and yet it is actually happening. Well, two thoughts for you. Um, the first thought is, that I am, uh, for, for those fans that are looking forward to the move and that are going to follow the team to Vegas and enjoy the games there, I'm delighted for them. And for those fans who are heartbroken by the move, I'm heartbroken for them. And those two feelings are not mutually inconsistent. And it's just interesting to me um, that when I articulate that I'm delighted for the fans who are happy and heartbroken for the fans who are heartbroken, People don't understand that I can be both, and I really am both. I think the team is going to have to get ready for uh, a paradigm shift, 
right now or through last season, um, you go to a game, a Raider home game, and it's what, 95, 98% Raider fans. Yeah. And yes, there will be, there will be a lot of Raider fans in Las Vegas. No doubt about that. The, the fans travel very, very well, and there will be a lot of Raider fans. But there are also going to be a lot of fans of the visiting team. Because if you are a fan of a team that is playing the Raiders on the road, and you can only go to one road game to root your team on, mm-hmm. well, yeehaw, you're going to Vegas. Because, look, we've all seen Vegas vacation. And, um, you know, they're going to go do their Chevy Chase thing. And I'm <laughs> saying that with a big smile on my face. But I think the team is going to have to get used to a paradigm shift in that regard, that there will be more fans of the visiting team. The last thought I will give you is not one that I've only recently started articulating. I have articulated this since the day the team indicated it wanted to move to Vegas. So my thoughts in this regard are not born of the pandemic. Vegas is synonymous with disposable income. And we have been living in a boom economy for a very, very long time when people have disposable income. And I said back on the day the team indicated it wanted to move to Vegas, at some point, the economy is going to sour because economies sour, whether because of a specific reason or just because they cycle, economies sour. And it will be interesting to see the level of support in a down economy in a city that is so synonymous with disposable income. That's that's a great point. You're not, when the economy is down and everyone's 401k is a little shrunk up and businesses are clamping down on travel, uh, you are a lot less likely to spend your extra cash going to Las Vegas, which may mean yeah, just how it works. And football, football tickets are also sort of one of those things you chop on the budget. All right. Uh, we got to get you out of here. I kept you far too long. Uh, thank you I so much. I loved every minute. Th- I, I, I had a blast talking to you. We will do it. We will do it again soon. I promise. Well, and I just will say this. I've absolutely loved talking to you. I always enjoy exchanging thoughts with you. And I hope you know that when I'm teasing you about, um, leaving me at the table with no one to eat lunch with that I'm just, I'm doing just that. I'm teasing in good fun. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's why we get along, Amy, because we have uh, the same sense of uh, sharp, biting humor and a willingness <laughs> to, to throw it out, to throw it out there. Uh, thanks so much, Amy. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, that was an awesome time. Love Amy; she's the best. Tomorrow, defensive prospect rankings begin. Chris Chapasso will join me to break down the top defensive linemen and edge rushers, and of course, we'll have tons of draft coverage. Uh, all the, all through the draft, April 23rd, my wife's birthday. Very excited for it. Um, we have the Pick 6 Podcast show every day at 4 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. leading up to the draft and probably through the draft and beyond. So make sure and watch that if you like the show. We really appreciate your support. And, of course, we'll have bonus episodes as it calls for, plus some fun interviews coming up uh, down the road a bit. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys soon. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com.